0: This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton.
1: The debate over immigration has tended to focus on the impact it's having on jobs and wages, but that doesn't show the complete picture, according to new research from here at the Wharton School. A more complete picture would also include things like innovation and, as well, capital investment. The research shows that immigrants actually can influence a firm's investment and operations decisions, particularly regarding their home countries. They also account for roughly a quarter of entrepreneurs in the U.S. right now. This suggests that policymakers maybe should consider consulting with firms before making decisions regarding immigration that could impact some of those businesses. With more on this topic, we are joined here in studio by Ezekiel Hernandez, who's an assistant professor in the management department here at the Wharton School. We should note, by the way, that his research was done in conjunction with the Penn Wharton Public Policy Initiative. Zeke, nice seeing you. Thank you for coming in today. Thanks for having me. So why has the conversation around areas of innovation and capital uh, capital investment tended to be pushed to the side a little bit?
0: Well, I think the the easy but incomplete answer would be to say that it's uh, it just fits the the political expedience or rhetoric right with uh, with some of the nationalist sentiment. But I think there's something uh, more basic, and it's just that we should care a lot about jobs and wages, and that's the most visible part of the economy. Right. I think for normal people. Uh, so the problem isn't necessarily that we talk about how immigrants affect jobs and wages, but. Uh, one, that we have an incomplete picture and also that the facts that are being uh, thrown out there about how immigrants affect jobs and wages are not correct. Uh, and the other part is just that the research showing how immigrants affect innovation and capital investment is newer. So it just hasn't had enough time to disseminate. So uh, I think it's in part the responsibility of people like me to you know spread the word.
1: Well, let, let's for a minute t- talk about the capital investment side and how that narrative I- is not being – spoken about enough, and where the impact really is? Yeah. So uh, what research is
0: showing, mine but also others, is that there's a pattern that goes something like this, and this is true in the U.S. and true in uh, other countries. Uh, what happens is a group of migrants starts moving into a certain place, think a, a city or a state, and eventually they're going to form uh, a cluster, right? Um those migrants aren't isolated from their home, so they communicate back and forth, they bring ideas, they bring skill uh, they bring some of their own money. But the part that's not talked about is that uh, a few years later, companies from their home country actually follow them into that place and set up factories and retail stores and research centers and they they make productive capital investments and those factories and stores employ not just uh, immigrants but they actually employ more Americans than immigrants so Uh, My favorite recent story is actually one um, from someone you had on your show recently, Andrew Seeley, where he talks about Hazleton, Pennsylvania, right? And Hazleton uh, now uh, is about 50% Hispanic, but in the 90s it wasn't. So it got a huge influx of immigrants in the 90s, and about 10 or 15 years later there's four Mexican-owned factories that employ mostly American workers. So that pattern of migration being followed by Uh, foreign investment capital that comes into the U.S. uh, is not talked about,
1: but it's a a very common pattern. For people that that are listening to us around the country, Hazleton, which is north of Philadelphia by probably about two hours, I believe, that has been really one of the, the most important areas in this state where the question of immigration has really been playing out over the last couple of years.
0: Right. So Hazleton has been kind of the bellwether, right, for a lot of uh, what's what's happened, you know, in, in, with the debate of, you know, are immigrants good for the economy? Are they right. stealing jobs or not? And I think what Hazleton has learned is that, um, you know, overall, in the long run, especially immigration is very, very positive to revitalize areas, to bring foreign investment, to create novel products, novel services. Uh, but it just takes a little bit of time. Right. And I think we focus too much on the immediate effect on jobs and wages and not on the long term benefits in terms of capital and innovation. But
1: as you alluded to, is the fact that if a company is coming here from whatever country it may be, they're coming here to set up shop in the United States, wherever that location is. It's not like they're just hiring people from that country. They are hiring Americans. They're they're hiring people of all ethnicities to work and, and and be productive in that particular facility. Sure. So, you know, this is this is
0: where my research squarely fits, right? And so, um, you know, what I've found is that if a company is going to come into the United States, and and many, many companies want to, right, because there's a big uh, labor market, there's a big consumer market, there's a lot of talent here, Um, if they're going to come here, uh, even after you account for just the basic economic attractiveness of a place, they will be much more likely to set up shop. Uh, in a place that has immigrants from their home country. So, you know, whether it's a Mexican firm, Korean firm, right? I've done this with firms from dozens of countries. And when they set that up, uh, they stay longer, right? That means the capital survives longer in the U.S. It means they're more profitable. It means that they can create more jobs. And, and, uh, you know, in part... They hire they hire immigrants, but they they by and large don't. The vast majority of the people they hire are just Americans, right? Because yeah. their job isn't to just to cater to a small little immigrant group. They want to access the whole market. They right. they need to hire uh, to grow, and so. It's uh, it's really a, a gain for American workers, which too. is
1: it's interesting because if, if you go back over the last few months, one of the things, ironically enough, that President Trump has touted has been companies deciding to come to the United States and want to build facilities here from other locations. And to a degree, it's probably in part because of the fact that they're moving into an area where they have, uh, you know, a group of, of of people from their country that have emigrated to the United States.
0: Yeah, I would say that that's one area where the perhaps um, uh, policy thinking of the current administration is off, right? Because um, it's not connecting – so the current administration wants foreign investment, but they're not connecting that to the importance of welcoming migrants, Right. right? right? And research is showing that there's a connection. I think that the bigger picture here is that the economy isn't just powered by jobs and wages. It's also powered by capital investment and innovation that makes both workers and capital more productive, and all three of those are affected by immigration, and so you can't you can't pull one lever back and not hurt the other two. Right. 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 That's that's the big point.
1: Now, take us through the uh, innovation side of it, because part of that would be, I would imagine, something I mentioned at the top—the fact that right now about a quarter of the entrepreneurs in the United States are immigrants. Yeah,
0: the stats on this are are really remarkable, and I, I should preface this that this is not my research; this is the research of others. So. Yep. So I'll just uh, cite th- three, three studies. Um, so Bill Kerr and Sari Kerr, um, um, Bill is from Harvard and, and his wife is at Wellesley. Um, so they've done a lot of research on immigrant entrepreneurs. That's where that stat that a quarter of all entrepreneurs are immigrants, uh, and they represent only about 15% of the workforce and right. about just 10% of the U.S. population. 31% of VC-backed startups are founded by immigrants, and about 40% of startups that are backed by VCs have at least one immigrant founder, um, hmm. so they're creating jobs, but they're creating a lot of new products and services. So, um, you know, I mean, you can think of lots of examples: Google, Intel, historically DuPont, Budweiser, right? These are companies founded by immigrants that are, you know, uh, uh, hiring a lot of a lot of locals. Um, so that's one part. Now, um, uh, other research by. Um, my colleague Kirk Doran at Notre Dame shows that immigrants account for a disproportionate number of the new patents filed. so the more immigrants you let into a location, the more patents are filed in that location right. and also if you if you if you lower immigration, so you 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 hit the brakes on immigration, the number of patents by both immigrants and locals goes down um, and then uh, uh, another study shows that. Immigrants bring new ideas. So, for example, they bring in ideas about, say, traditional medicine from their home countries. They right. patent, they patent that knowledge. But then once they, they file that first patent, it's American inventors that will take that and recombine that patent with knowledge that existed in the U.S. and create, say, new breakthroughs in medicine, right? So all of that shows that whether it's uh, new firms, new products, patents, so new knowledge, all of that is uh, strongly driven by immigrants. Uh, and it doesn't just stay within the immigrant community but it benefits immigrant innovators and entrepreneurs
1: one of the other things that, that you said in, in your report it, which caught my eye is that for every one percent increase in immigrant population in a particular location wherever that may be around the United States there is not even just the guarantee of a company but there's a 50 percent higher chance that a company is going to is going to come to that particular area which I think is an important component because of the fact that that even if you're if if you're thinking about a company that may be considering it that's a positive maybe not now but maybe in a year two years five years down the road for for the economy in general
0: that's right that's right yeah it's it's a remarkable stat right now what that means it's that's a 50% increase over kind of the the baseline right so yeah. it's it's hard for firms to go abroad in general right sure. there's a lot of uncertainty yeah. So in any given year, there's maybe a two or three percent chance, right, that you'll attract a foreign company. This will increase that by fifty percent, right, which is actually significant. I mean, you ask any mayor, governor, right, how they 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 want to move the needle on foreign investment. Turns out that immigration um, plays a huge role and is 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 a. You know, fairly sure thing. Yeah,
1: we're joined here by Ezekiel Hernandez, who is an assistant professor in the management department here at the Wharton School. We're talking about the new research that he has done, uh, looking at the innovation and capital investment side of Im- immigration and the impact that it is having uh, because it isn't discussed enough. Eight four four Wharton is the number if you would like to join in. Eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. Or if you can't get your phone, you can send us a comment via Twitter, at BizRadio132, or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. So then the the conversations then between business and lawmaker, uh, it feels like that probably they're not happening enough right now and that they probably need to increase so that lawmakers, I mean, lawmakers talk with obviously businesses all the time, especially when they want to have support for reelection, but this is, a, this is an important component for many businesses on their day-to-day operations. Yeah,
0: that's, I would say, um, besides this idea that we need to think of uh, capital and innovation, that's, I think, the other big point here. At the end of the day, who hires, who conducts most of the innovation, and who makes capital investment? It's companies. It's firms, yeah. right? And so they're the ones that are making choices about hiring immigrants, high-skilled, low-skilled. They're the ones that are hiring... Immigrant scientists and native scientists that then do R and D—they're the ones who decide to, uh, you know, look at a new market and invest there. And so, uh, you're right; we need to have uh, firms involved in the conversation. Um, There is so, for example, around the issue of H-1B visas, right, for high-skilled workers, uh, firms have been fairly vocal about that, right? Uh, But I think it's a fairly narrow policy area. I think that. Uh, firms need to be on the table more just in terms of general immigration policy, you know, whether we want high skilled and low skilled immigra- immigrants, right? I think they can explain how they, how they use both types of immigrants.
1: How is that policy then? I mean, obviously when you're talking about certain aspects of it, you are talking at the national level, Capitol Hill, but, but what about at the state and local level as well? How, how do you, how do you reconcile some of the problems at those levels as well? In some ways, that's a level at which it's the most relevant, right? So
0: um, if you talk to any policymaker at the city level or at the state level, the thing they want the most is uh, jobs uh, and investment. Right. Right. I mean, that those are the bywords. They have been for a very, very long time. Um I don't know of any of them that would say, oh, I only want investment from, you know, American firms, right? right? They'll take investment from foreign firms any day. Sure. Right? But then you ask them, well, what what levers are you using to attract that investment in those jobs? And the typical answer is, well, we, you know, we're offering tax breaks or we're offering some investment incentives, right? So, you know, Amazon (laughs) second headquarters is a case in point. And what my research shows is that it turns out that just – being welcoming to immigrants, right? Having a population of immigrants has a much stronger effect than any of those expensive levers that politicians use. And so, uh, you know, I think one of the best policies you could have is how could we make this place friendly to foreigners? And of course, not in a way that you're harming uh, local workers. One doesn't imply the other. Um, But, you know, that that will do more for you in the long run. Now, this is a long-term investment, right? So this is not something that will bear fruit in one or two years but again if if as a politician if you're thinking long term 10 15 20 years i think just th- that can be one of the best things you can do
1: well you used honda as, as an example yeah. uh, a, a, of one of these instances correct
0: yeah so that's a in some ways a classic story so honda uh you, you know honda by now is legendary in the us has been really successful but back in like uh, the early 1950s honda was a fairly small motorcycle company yeah. right and they wanted to come to the us uh, and this reflects the uncertainty that any company investing abroad has. They they weren't sure where to go. They weren't sure what the market needed, right? There's a lot of uncertainty. So they decide um, that they wanted to go into Los Angeles, uh, and in part because there was a, a, a reasonably big Japanese community there. Yeah. And they thought, well, we can we can learn something from this community. We can start. We can use it maybe as a gateway into the rest of the country, Um You know, and and as they say, the rest is history. Honda uh, figured (laughs) out, right, how to really successfully uh, sell these kind of small scooter-like motorcycles and moved into the auto sector. But had it not been for immigrants, uh, I'm not saying Honda would have never come, but maybe it would have been later or maybe it would have been harder for them. So that's just a good example. And, you know, it's hard to say now. I mean, Honda, by and large, uh, is— is is in many ways an American company after yeah. this long, at least in the U.S. I'm not saying they're not a foreign company at all, but they, they're certainly not catering to the Japanese in the U.S. only.
1: Which is interesting when you use the example of Honda, because think about the timing of it. You're talking about within a decade of the end of World War II, and obviously during that period of time, the relationship between the United States and Japan was not very good. So you can turn that negative into a positive in a – for business, a decade is a, a, at times a relatively quick turnaround.
0: It is, right? And that's also telling because I think Honda would have felt um, disadvantaged or, or, or weary about going somewhere else, but L.A. was much uh, much more welcoming perhaps than other locations. In fact, there's another interesting uh, story surrounding Japan that has to do actually with American companies. So there's a study uh, by a professor named Lauren Cohen who's at at HBS – and what he found is that places that had um, unexpected increases in the Japanese population because of the you know these these horrible in- internment camps right yeah, during yeah. World War II, but places like Arkansas that happened to get a camp and then some of the Japanese stayed, uh, you know what that if what that uh, did several years later is that firms from Arkansas were much more likely to export their products into Japan. Right. So, right just because the Japanese were there. And they learn about opportunities in Japan. And so that's another case of uh, American firms benefiting from, um, you know, these
1: immigrants that then help them learn about new markets abroad. Which is the other part of the story, which especially is pertinent now, uh, because that's a way to build trade on both sides. And obviously trade has been a very important topic in the last several months as well.
0: Yeah, that's right. So, in fact, the, what research showed first was that immigrants affect trade before before uh, showing uh, that they affect direct capital investment. Uh, it's just that if two locations uh, share immigrants, right? So, like the example of the Japanese I gave, uh, firms from that location are much more likely to trade and find new market opportunities in the places where the immigrants come from and vice versa, Right. Uh, and that benefits, of course, the firms because the more uh, markets they can access, the more they're going to hire and right. grow locally, uh, but also affects you as a consumer. So if you think – so here's – I've always said this is a really interesting thought experiment. If you just think of your local supermarket and think of all the, pr- the products on the aisles, right, and then st- start removing the ones that are somehow influenced by foreigners, right? <laughs> yes. The food, the beauty products, uh, the toys, right? You, you might not have a lot left. You don't have a lot. The aisles become very empty. Now, think of what you like to consume in terms of entertainment, music, movies, TV shows. You take away the foreign directors, the foreign talent, right? Salsa, for example, invented in the U.S., right, yeah. by yeah. immigrants. Uh, you know, your your experience in, in entertainment would be, uh, you know, much worse, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so it just yeah. shows also that kind of the, the basket or the mix of products that benefit you as a consumer would be uh, much less at least enjoyable for you.
1: But yeah. again, the, the the story that obviously has been put forward about jobs and wages, which obviously, as you said, it is an important aspect to it, but the impact on, for lower skilled workers... That's obviously been one of the narratives that that has been pushed forward of the impact that it's having on those particular jobs. It's not as high as probably a lot of people are being told. And, and kind of from the same perspective on the opposite side, high skilled workers, it's having more of an impact that's probably being told as well right now.
0: Yeah. So if I could dispel one massive misconception, right, that is driving a lot of think of the anger about the issue is that there's a misconception that low-skilled workers are taking jobs and lowering the wages of natives. There's a a massive brick-sized <laughs> report by the National Academies of Science, Engineering and Medicine. Anybody can download it. I think the title's I think it's The Economic and Fiscal Consequences of Immigration. Anyway, yeah. you can read the state of the art there. The conclusion, the preponderance of evidence is that low-skilled immigrants by and large do not have a negative effect on the jobs and wages of American workers. There's uh, a few dissenting scholars that suggest that there's a small negative effect, but even that's being debated. If any group actually suffers from low-skilled immigrants, it's actually other low-skilled immigrants, the ones that came before. So it's not even American workers. Um, So the point is, you know, not that we shouldn't care about a, uh, if anything, a small proportion of, of Americans that might be affected negatively. But the point is that there's all these other pieces of the puzzle, right? And if we set immigration policy uh, based on the misunderstanding that low-skilled immigrants hurt American workers, then we kill all the benefits that high-skilled immigrants have, which you just mentioned. And and high-skilled immigrants have hugely positive effects on the jobs and wages of American workers. And at first that sounds counterintuitive because you're thinking, wait, this is like one job for another, right? Yeah, yeah. But the, the, the issue is that the skills and knowledge that uh, work, that foreign workers bring are not identical to the ones that American workers have. They're complementary, actually. They're different mm-hmm. and complementary. So you bring, say, a high-skilled engineer or scientist that knows about uh, a certain you know, diabetes research that will complement the skills that American workers have and, therefore, actually create more jobs. And we have several studies that show that, that when a firm hires a high-skilled immigrant, it hires uh, uh, more than one uh, also American worker. And, uh, you know, and on top of that, then there's the capital and innovation things that we've been talking about. Yeah. So we need to think of the net effect. And the net effect of migrants is unambiguously positive, uh, you know. And so, and so again, I, I just wish we could dispel that concern about low-skilled
1: migrants. Well, the other part to it is when when you look at the monthly jobs reports numbers yeah. that we see here in the U.S. right now, for the last four or five months or so, we have seen reporting that... We now have more jobs available than people in the workforce that are looking for a job. So that would seem this is it feels like a case of A plus B equals C, where if we have this wealth of jobs that are available at whatever level those jobs are actually at to be able to have, whether it be people that are, are citizens of the United States or immigrants coming in, you've got the opportunity to fill a lot of these jobs. Exactly. Yeah. And the key word, again,
0: is complementarity, right? It's it's not, you know, immigrant workers are not identical to American workers right. in terms of their skills and interests, even the jobs that they want, right? And so they'll fill different jobs. They will fill different roles within a company that will then allow that company to hire more American workers. So uh, we we need to shift the conversation from immigrants being identical or substitutes uh, to
1: being complements. But even though we're talking about the people that obviously are making this impact, it it does feel like going back to something we said before, that a way to really have this change is going to be through the companies themselves. And the companies themselves going to to their legislators, whether it be at the state level or at the federal level, and say, hey, listen, here's what's happening. We need to change it to this. So that we, it can be a benefit to to our state, because I think a lot of people think more on the state level than they do at times on the federal level.
0: Uh, I agree. I agree. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I understand that. Um, you know, being someone who studies management, that this is tricky for companies, right? Because they don't want to uh, stick their necks out, right, and and uh, uh, have some of their constituents uh, or customers uh, boycott them, right? Because yeah. they might have different opinions about migration. But I think. Yeah. You know, if we just present the facts and have civil dialogue, I mean, I I still hold out, right, that that, that <laughs> can help. Uh, and I think, I think companies are trying, but um, uh, maybe this research can
1: complement the efforts that companies are making. Great meeting you. Thank you for coming in, Zeke. Thank Thank you you very much. Greatly appreciate it. Thank you. Ezekiel Hernandez, who's an assistant professor in the management department here at the Wharton School, joining us here in our studio talking about uh, his research, uh, looking at immigration and uh, the economic impacts, not just jobs and wages, but innovation and capital investment as well. Great to have him joining us here in the studio. For
0: more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.